welcome to Way Too Twog's Bagpipe and History Podcast, where I, your host Jeremy, explores the possible repertoire of 18th and early 19th century bagpipers. Come and let's enjoy some tunes. Hello and welcome to our October episode. Um, might have a second one. Might just re-release a uh, kind of bonus Halloween episode that I put on the Patreon feed last year. Um, but anyway, I wanted to get make sure to get an episode out in October. So we're gonna do one that I kind of can't believe hasn't happened yet, and that is just a playthrough of Straight and Scalern, which has been one of my favorite collections of country dance tunes as long as I've known about it. And I've known about it for a long time. Uh, tracks from um, Straight and Scalern have been on uh, a couple albums so far, and I kind of can't imagine not having tunes on them for everything going forward. This is a collection of 204 favorite country dance tunes, um, and we're going to play a lot of them, but there's, you know, just looking through to double check that all the tunes I was playing was actually from Straight and Scalern, I found a bunch more that I want to play. So uh, I think we'll be able to go back to this often. One thing that was sort of surprising is there is a set for um, Parcel Rogues, uh, A Parcel of Rogues in a Nation, uh, which is a country dance, and it's not, I don't think it really is the air. Um, so we're going to play that and explore some of the air settings as well. Uh, but otherwise, this is just kind of a straightforward playthrough of some tunes that caught my eye on various instruments uh, of Straight and Scalern. Uh, I also have a new instrument to try out, so I've wanted to get a, uh, a Freeman tweaked whistle for a long time, and I've also wanted a low F whistle recently, so I saw that he had a tweaked low F whistle, uh, which was convenient. So I got one. He's in production again. You'll hear a lot of that. Uh, when I saw that Jerry had a low F whistle tweaked, I, I don't know what my brain was thinking, but I was like, well, maybe the F whistle that Generation sells is the low one, because I, I like a low F whistle for like how narrow the spread is. Um, but here is the F whistle that I got when I ordered one from Generation. Decidedly not low, uh, and it's also really tiny, um, but it's it's kind of the perfect pocket whistle. It is a little bit bigger than the G whistle, so my fingers can play it pretty comfortably, but it's small enough to fit in a pocket and kind of disappear in a pants pocket. So I'm really quite fond of it. Uh, I've been playing a lot of it, and I was like, well, what better excuse uh, when I saw Jerry had... Um, had whistles again that he was like going into production and taking orders so i ordered the low f which i think is a b flat generation mouthpiece that then jerry makes the whistle body for but it sounds lovely uh you'll hear a lot of it on the episode um yeah it's a it's a good whistle and cheap cheap for a low whistle it's i think it was something around 100 bucks or so um but anyway, you will hear it on the episode. Let's get started with some tunes. Uh, I think I'm just going to go through and kind of play them the order in which I see them. Uh, and so, yeah, having the low F and the high F is nice for doing duets and things. So let's start with that. This is the Morning Post tune on a straight and scalar. They're nearly all going to be, so I'll probably quit saying that. Um, but yeah, the full title of the collection of tunes is 204 Favorite Country Dances Performed at Court. All Max, the Pantheon, and most public assemblies with the newest and best directions for dancing, each set for the violin, German flute, and hobo. So this is volume one. Um, 
Yeah, I haven't seen a volume two, but I'm eager for it. Uh, London, uh, it's printed in London uh, at St. Martin's Lane near Chapel, maybe is what that says, uh, where maybe had a complete volume one of minuets for the violin and harp. Uh, like I said, lovely collection of tunes, and let's get started with my duet recording on two, I mean, it's just me playing the same part, but Morning Post. Next one is the Mary Pfeiffer's, although elsewhere in the book it is nearly identical and called the Mount Sion. Interestingly, Mount Sion is how I was playing the Mary Pfeiffer's. There's one extra trill set in the Mount Sion version that isn't present for the Mount Pfeiffer's. So really I should say this is Mount Sion and not the Mary Pfeiffer's, but uh, yeah. Anyway, here it is. Mary Pfeiffer's or Mount Sion. tune um it would be pretty fun to try that on island pipes but the the beginning with that high a uh that high a arpeggio thing would be a bit of a chore but there's some really fun uh kind of c things to do anyway that was mary pfeiffer's let's go next to the purr fleet this sounds awfully familiar it doesn't show up on tune archive as any concordances but it clearly is another tune uh, i just don't have it in my vocabulary right now anyway here is the purr fleet Thank you. 
Okay, and here is the Oxford Ramble, again on that uh, Jerry Freeman tweaked low F whistle. So I noticed that Oxford Ramble would sit pretty well on border pipes, so I recorded it. The recording I kept, for some reason, uh, I didn't hit any of the second octave Bs, so you'll just have to use your imagination. But it still sounds pretty good, even with the flubbed high B. Here we'll do another two instrument take. We'll do four seasons, first on Ellen pipes, and then we'll come back on border pipes. the same tune on border pipes four seasons
right, and actually on the same page of Straight and Scalern is the Black Dance. So that is, here's Black Dance on Ellen Place. exploring this collection for a couple of years. Uh, it started when I was kind of on the hunt for uh, country dance books that came from kind of right before the American Revolution for trying to figure out just what John Askin's country dance book might have been. Uh, if you remember back to 2020, uh, I found out about John Askin, who's a fur trader in the Great Lakes that talks about borrowing a uh, country dance book and so I was just poking around at country dance books published in the 1770s kind of before blockades and things where you could still get you know printed music in the colonies uh, which is where I think Askin might have gotten the music and Straight and Scalarian kind of skipped in it's a little bit like 1775 like I might have still been able to make it make it in but it's uh it's just a lovely collection of country dance tunes and you know most country dance books my favorite tunes, like I'll see things that show up in tons of collections, and there's a lot in this collection of tunes that this is the first time I've seen them. Um, and they all they all just are good. And the handful of them that I've like done a, a poke around tune archive for, there aren't any other versions of it, which seems hard to believe. Um, and like this next one's a case in point. This is Variety is Charming. Uh, I kind of, I use this one in my country dance talk just because it's so, I thought it was a pun because the tune is not it's, it just feels like uh, like this is a song that never ends. I could just keep going, going and going. Uh, supposedly, it is a song um, kind of suggesting that you're going to have as many female partners as possible because variety is charming, but I can't really figure out how you would sing those lyrics to this melody. Uh, Patricial Tune Archive has the, the lyrics as, uh, I'm in love with 20, I'm in love with 20, and could adore as many more, for nothing's like a plenty, variety is charming, variety is charming, for constancy is not for me, so ladies, you have warning. But the tune is, I'm in love with 20, I'm in love with 20, and could adore as many more. For nothing's like a plenty, variety is charming, variety is charming, for constancy's not for me. So ladies, you have warning. Like, I just, I don't quite, I don't know. <laughs> I'll have to poke around a little bit more, maybe. Um, yeah, I'm not going to do that today, but there is some vocal music, songsters campaign. Okay, I'm going to do it now. I'm going to do it now. Who am I kidding? Okay, so I did it. It's cool. Those things are awesome. I'll put a link to the... Uh, I am SLP. They're going to get their own episode at some point um, when I have a lot more time because they're just full of songs with the sheep, like with the, the music for it as well as the songs for it. It looks sort of like Scott's musical companion. Um, but anyway, couldn't find the uh, Variety is Charming song in there. But uh, anyway, let's do Variety is Charming finally. Here's me playing it on Ellen Pipes. Thank you. 
Speaking of things that nearly derailed the podcast by looking at Traditional Tune Archive, um, I think it was Traditional Tune Archive. No, it was a different website. It was some kind of Folkopedia thing. But there's a mention here that the uh, Thomas Strait and Thomas Scalern were established in Great Russell Street, Covent Garden, before 1768. It says in this little write-up, which is on Folkopedia, uh, from Frank Kidson, it suggests that the Scalerns took over a shop that Oswald used to have. So I, I went poking around for some of the various James Oswald collections I look at, and they don't share the same address, but I, I just looked at the Caledonian Pocket Companion. So, um, so yeah, maybe. It seems like, according to kids in here, Strait and Scullion wound up printing a lot of Oswald stuff, kind of using the same plates. But anyway, good good music. Anyway, it doesn't, you know, it's not like some of the Thompson Brothers ones where I can recognize, like, oh, this is exactly the same plate. This This all feels... I mean, it's all new to me, anyway. Uh, anyway, here is another tune. Um, let's do another one. Uh, just So in the North. <laughs> I don't know what that's a reference to. feels like it must be a play. There's a couple Just So's uh, in the collection. I should have explored more, but I didn't. So anyway, here's Just So in the North on Ellen Pipes. Just So in the North. And another Illin pipe one. Here's the sword knot. to keep the not theme going here's turk's head back to that uh, freeman tweaked f whistle turk's head
Speaking of tying knots, here's Happy Wedding. Get it? Tying the knot, Happy Wedding. That's some good stuff. Uh, I think we're back to border pipes with this one though. Okay, so the theme is getting trickier here. Uh, how about possible wedding locations? Maybe you want to get married at Cox's Museum. So here's Cox's Museum. Well, I really should have uh, done the Tune Archive thing before using up Cox's Museum as a wedding venue. Supposedly, uh, according to traditional Tune Archive's little write-up, again, Straight and Scalarian is the only source that they list, but uh, whoever was writing in the traditional Tune Archive thinks that this tune is referenced to James Cox, who is... Um, you know, this kind of famous uh, clockwork manufacturer, um, automatons, clockwork, really fancy gold work and that sort of thing. And that name rang a bell because uh, James Cox made some of the really fancy clocks and automatons that McCartney took with him to uh, China to try to impress the Qianlong Emperor in the kind of later 18th century to try to open up uh, China to, to British trade, which is like the reason I'm excited about teaching Chinese history next semester is just to have a chance to talk about that more. So we might hear more about Cox's Museum and uh, James Cox. Um, I've been thinking about, you know, it, if I want to get back and doing more long form um, history episodes, that McCartney one is interesting to me. So if you don't, if you're not familiar with the story, uh, you know, the Chinese, the, the Qing Dynasty, and just in general, the Chinese had been uh, considerably control of more wealth and kind of power than much of the rest of the world for a very long time until kind of late 18th, early 19th century and things start to shift. Um, but McCartney, George McCartney is kind of sent as an English ambassador, uh, kind of go between to try to convince the Qinlong emperor to kind of open up uh, China to British trade and give them some more ports and some better control over trade rather than dealing with the, the merchants in uh, Ganton or, or Hong Kong that were no fun to deal with. And, uh, well, the English had a hard time getting advantage over them, so they wanted to open it up. But 
the thing that's interesting to me about it is McCartney in his like report is talking about trying to inspire a rebellion and just very uncritically uh, McCartney goes on and on about how the you know, the Qing dynasty is ruled by the Manchus and they're kind of oppressing the indigenous Han Chinese and so everywhere he went McCartney made it sound like Han Chinese were coming and saying hey we got to get rid of these Manchus you know you just show up and we'll totally do a rebellion on them um, and it's just it's remarkable because the Qing dynasty is indeed, you know, it's a, a state ruled by the Manchus, but like McCartney is Scotch-Irish, like he's part of the colonizing force in Ireland. Like somebody could have been saying the same thing about McCartney in Ireland, and he just doesn't even think critically about it. So he's got this plan to the king that they're going to see if they can't get a rebellion going by supporting these uh, indigenous uh, Han Chinese people. But anyway, interesting cat. Uh, I might read some of that as a primary source and kind of put a weird episode out talking about uh, McCartney and the Qinlong Emperor and indeed James Cox's ridiculously fancy automaton that he sent to Qinlong to try to impress him. Uh, some of that stuff has made its way to the Met for some reason, so um, I'll, I'll link to... Um, well, I guess I don't know if this is the one that he sent to Qinlong, but there's some stuff that he made in order to try to you know, these, these various toys and things to impress the East India Company, and some of which made their way to, um, made their way to Qinglong. Anyway, you can look at some of James Cox's work, uh, in the show notes. Anyway, let's go on to the next tune. Uh, I don't have to pretend like there is a theme anymore, because I might just randomly start talking about whatever. So, uh, let's do Naples Dance. <laughs> is Beavis Mount, Bevis Mount, Beavis Mount.
here I'll record one that I've definitely seen in other places, but it's on the same page as the previous tune. So here is Paddywhack. I kind of think Paddywhack might get its own episode at some point, but uh, O'Farrell has a setting for it, which is how I first heard it, but O'Farrell has a, a four-part variation, I think, although my brain kind of has a hard time keeping them all straight when I play it, but it's been one of my kind of go-to tunes for years. Uh, anyway, back to Straight and Scalarin. I mean, that was Straight and Scalarin too, but uh, back to thinking about it. Here is a tune that uh, I couldn't help but play because my brain has been spending a lot of time with the baby, and I think my maturity level is going down. So here is Miss Butt's favorite. Spelled exactly like it sounds. my Chieftain Low D whistle doing Miss Butt's favorite. Let's go back to the low F. Uh, and this one is for the Macaroni. Lovely tune.
really like the B part in that tune. Um, that's another like good tune for telling stories. Like I don't know that it's quite widespread understanding in America, like what a macaroni is, and that the whole Yankee Doodle thing is a big making fun of Americans that you know stuck a feather in his hat and called it macaroni. Um, so if you don't know, macaronis are like absurdly dressed to the nine dandies, like very fancy, um, dressed kind of gaudy folks and, um, the whole Yankee Doodle thing. Yankee Doodle went to town riding on a pony, stuck a feather in his cap and called them macaronis, like saying Americans are sort of uncustomed people or uncultured that think just sticking a hat or a feather in your hat is enough to be as decked out as you are. Uh, I, I need to do a bunch of research on macaronis. Uh, it was, it didn't make its way into my dissertation, but it's kind of, it's kind of part of queer British history is this question about macaroni sexuality. And if it's like an expression of masculinity or not, or if it was mostly homosexuals that were macaronis or not, uh, don't know, didn't get into it, just saw that there was a literature on it and I didn't have time <laughs> to dig in. Um, so anyway, I'm going to have to dig in uh, for the book version of this dissertation or for a different article. Um, yeah, and my dissertation committee was pretty confused by a couple chapters in my book of like, why are we spending 50 pages talking about the American Revolution in the West? Uh, and also, why are we spending 50 pages talking about Orkney? Uh, but it held together I th in my head anyway. Uh, anyway, let's move on. This next tune is called The Damsel. I suppose I should clarify that's La Damoiselle and not The Damsel. I think La Damoiselle means The Damsel. Let's hope. Uh, okay, this next one's kind of weird. This is uh, called Lord Bathsgate, but, you know, I really think it sounds like Marvelous Christmas Time. That, um, is it Beatles or Paul McCartney Christmas tune? Um, let me know what you think. Lord Bathsgate. I think we may have a lawsuit on our hands. I don't know.
another tune off that Freeman whistle. Here is Polly's Fancy. This one, another F whistle tune. This is the ladies' lesson. Skylark.
easily my favorite of these kind of quick three. This is Le Renard. This one has sort of a funky second part. This is Mary Thought. And here is the cascade.
All right, here is the last of these kind of new ones that aren't leading to concordances or anything. Von Rotterdam op Dort. Uh, unless it doesn't, I have already added about five tunes while in the process of putting the episode together. Of like, oh, I better play the Cascade. Oh, I better play Paddywhack. Oh, I better. Um, so yeah. Anyway, I think this is the last of them, and then we'll do Parcel of Rogues and the tunes I've released as albums. So anyway, Von Rotterdam op Dort on Border Pipes. So I'm going to do the um, straight and scholar and setting for uh, Parcel of Rogues in the Nation. Uh, I really don't see how this can be the same melody, but as a jig or anything, um, or as a country dance, as it were. It's a six-eight, um, and I just don't. I don't think it is a different version. I think this is a different tune. Um, it's certainly there are many settings for Parcel of Rogues in the Nation that predate you know, Robbie Burns and predate the 1775, uh, which is when this collection of country dances is from, supposedly. Um, but yeah, I think this one isn't it. All those other ones that I've seen kind of sound like the melody of the song. But anyway, here's the country dance setting for A Parcel of Rogues in the Nation. Maybe I'm just not hearing it galaxy-brained enough, and it's obviously the same thing. Uh, you tell me. But we'll explore that other melody um, once we finish with this one.
Yeah, I don't think that's a country dance version of uh, A Parcel of Rogues in the Nation that people are so familiar with. Uh, let's play that now. This is William McGibbon's setting for uh, Parcel of Rogues in the Nation. It's from 1746-ish from his collection of Scots tunes. It's really uh, similar to um, the melody that Robert Burns is sort of attributed to. Uh, McGibbon does write it in B-flat, I think, which when you're putting it on whistles... To kind of get it to sound right often means you have to kind of move the note one space up, if that makes any sense at all. Um, anyway, so that's what I'm doing here. So it's a little bit clunky, and I am sort of transposing in my head as I go along. But anyway, here is A Parcel of Rogues in the Nation from William McGibbon's Scott's Tunes, Volume 2. So this next version um, is from Robert Chambers. It's from a collection of music published in 1862 of uh, the Songs of Scotland prior, prior to Burns. Um, and honestly, looking at his setting, at uh, Chambers' setting here, kind of stopped me in my tracks a little bit. I'd already recorded a whole section talking about the Durian scheme and the kind of the interpretation, kind of going along with the interpretation of what the what the song is, what the poem is. And I'm not so sure now. So um, if you're not familiar, the kind of myth of this song is that... Well, here, let's just hear it first. This is uh, this is Ewan McCall singing Such a Parcel of Rogues in a Nation. Uh, it's, it's supposedly kind of referencing the selling of Scottish Parliament and kind of creating the active union of the parliaments, kind of getting rid of Scottish Parliament and having just one United Kingdom. That is what it's supposed to be referencing. And uh, we'll talk about the myth of it when I talk about Chambers. But here first is Ewan McCall singing the Robert Burns song. Or the Burn, the song that's attributed to Burns, anyway. It definitely predates Burns. Whether or not the lyrics did or not, I'm not sure. But anyway, here it is. Farewell to our Scottish flame Farewell our ancient glory Farewell even to the Scottish name Say famed in martial story 
Nu sar grins out the Solway sands and tweed rins to the ocean, to mark war England's province stands. Such a parcel of rogues in a nation. What force or guile could not subdue through many warlike ages is wrought now by a coward few for hireling traitors' wages. The English still we could disdain, secure in valor station, but English gold has been urbane. Such a parcel of rogues in a nation. had seen the day that treason thus could sell us. My old grey heed had lain in clay with Bruce and loyal Wallace. But pith and power till my last hour I'll make this declaration We are bought and sold for English gold Such a parcel of rogues in a nation So I, I took and still kind of take the song as, as fairly accurate. Um, it's, it's really hard. There's this myth that um, this is a reality that literally um, Scottish lawmakers were like bribed in order to end the union. Um, and people will say, well, you know, this isn't true. They weren't bribed. Uh, they wanted the union. And I think that that's maybe a little bit too narrow of an interpretation of the events like there's being bribed, literally, or there's also, you will benefit financially from a thing, so you do it, despite it being maybe not in the best interest of everybody else, or maybe in the best interest only of a certain, you know, like, it it serves, uh, like, selling, getting getting rid of the Scottish Parliament in um, the early 1700s benefited, there were benefits to it for trade and that sort of thing, but obviously came with downside and, and consequences as well. Um you know, in the lead up to that act of union, Scotland had attempted to get in on the colony game and established a, a colony near Panama today called the Darien Scheme, as generally was referred to. And, you know, it, it seems pretty uh, clear that England um, did what they could to keep other colonies and other empire folks t from trading with the Darien Scheme. So, like, there wasn't much of a chance for Scotland to succeed, as well as it just being kind of a terrible place to set up a colony in terms of disease. Um, and also, Scotland's exports of woolens aren't particularly useful in Central America. Um, but then, 
all of the like wealthy people in Scotland are horribly in debt to this failed scheme. And then the active union is a way for some of those people to get their money back. Like they do get money after it to help cover some of the outstanding bills and things they have. So like that seems to have actually happened. Um, but it's, it's really hard to like parse this out. So the setting from 1862 that Chambers has describes it this way. This song embodies pretty fairly the anti-union feeling of Scotland, which has essentially a Jacobite feeling, though partaken of by many who are not Jacobites and echoed by a vast proportion of the populace. While in reality, for anything that has yet appeared, the sober good sense of the country was willing to see the long contemplated injunction affected. The usual charge of corruption against the majority of the Scottish Parliament is also here embodied, a charge, however, which it is fair to say never has been borne out by clear evidence. 1862, and it's sort of the same thing if you're trying to find out any information about this myth, it's the same problem, where uh, the people talking about this tune are either fiercely nationalist and one in independent Scotland or the opposite. And uh, me trying to like look things up, there's uh, a book called um, by, uh, by Waitley, um, by Christopher Waitley called um, Bought and Sold for English Gold, Explaining the Union of 1707. There's been a recent edition since the reopening of the Scottish Parliament. It's supposedly fairly measured, but again, Waitley is like a very pro-union person that defended the union and uh, has a legitimate critique that most people upset about the union don't really look at the evidence. And he has found plenty of evidence to suggest that um, there were people that wanted the union um, that were in parliament and didn't have to get bribed for it. But again, I don't think that's really the issue. And again, to me, and again, I am an American. Scotland is a hobby in terms of like history, but just looking at like labor history and farming history and those sorts of things, this whole idea that like wealthy people in Scotland, I can, I, it makes very much sense to me that poor people of Scotland would accuse rich people of being bribed uh, and mean a different thing than literally being convinced to do a thing just because the English parliament gave them a bunch of money, you know? Uh, anyway, so Eh, I don't know, uh, but it's a lovely song and it's a lovely melody. Um, and as much as Chambers kind of politics are showing in the, everybody loves the union in 1862. Um, let's, uh, his, his setting is really good for the tune. So here is such a parcel of rogues in a nation, uh, from Robert Chambers.
All right, before leaving this tune completely behind, uh, I wanted to talk about easily my favorite uh, performance of this tune or setting for it. Uh, years ago when I had uh, an Amazon Music account, uh, that was my streaming music service of choice, uh, just because I already was integrated into the Amazon ecosystem or whatever. And uh, and I was looking for such partial of Rogues in the Nation, and I was enjoying, you know, Ian McCall's setting, which we've already heard, and I saw this one uh, by Christine Sparks, and it's amazing. Uh, I've been, I was really glad to hear from Christine. I kind of messaged and asked if I could play it on the podcast and she happily assented. And, you know, I, I, I messaged her this, but it's really true. I don't, I canceled my subscription to Amazon music for a couple of reasons, but mostly cause I didn't really use it much. Um, and I think that's in part due to like the earworm getting out of my head, but for a long time, like maybe, I don't know, half a year, uh, I would routinely open up Amazon Music just to hear Christine sing uh, her her version of such Parcel of Rogues, or Parcel of Rogues in the Nation. Um, so yeah, check it out. I'm sure it's still on streaming services. She also mentioned that you can get her music on iTunes, and she has a new album coming out in 2023, so maybe we will hear from Christine again. But this is from uh, her album called Robin, The Songs of Robert Burns, Volume 1. And yeah, it's cracking stuff. Uh, has another album called The Woman, uh, which is a collection of songs written by uh, another Scots songwriter, Tom Fairney, uh, arranged by herself. So anyway, great stuff. Thank you, Christine. And uh, so yeah, one final setting of Parcel Rogues in the Nation, in a nation. This one from Christine Sparks. Such a parcel of 
It's just lovely. Uh, just lovely. Thanks, Christine. Uh, okay. And uh, I guess we've got to wrap this up here. So I just wanted to do another plug since this episode is coming out on Bandcamp Friday. Uh, I'll put uh, a couple of other straight and scalarian tunes I've played, which are recorded on my album. So uh, first, uh, this one is from Pay the Pipe Maker. And these tunes are... Uh, this is track nine out of uh, off of Pay the Pipe Maker. These are all from Straight and Scalar, and it's Miss Fowler's Delight, The Nabob, Pantheon, and The Oak Tree. Uh, lovely tunes.
right, so that was Miss Fowler's Delight and uh, a bunch of other Straight and Scalarian tunes. Uh, yeah, the Nabob, Pantheon, and the Oak Tree, all from Straight and Scalarian, of course. And to finish us off, we'll do the final track on Bannocks of Barley Meal, which is my most recent album, uh, which you can check out on Bandcamp today, Bandcamp Friday, or any day you want. Still haven't made physical copies of it. Um, I just have been a little bit busy. Um, but yeah, so Cave of Enchantment... Uh, the last track of Bannocks of Barley Meal has Cave of Enchantment followed by Me on the Land of Faraway. I've talked about this tune uh, quite a lot on the podcast, uh, me kind of exploring around. I like Cave of Enchantment because I'm, I'm kind of playing an untrue version of it from Straight and Scalarian, but it's good because it uses that extended range that I like doing on Highland Pipes. And I mention that now because if you are not following uh, James Moyer on the various social medias, like on Instagram, he posts he's been posting stuff on Heritage Bagpipes and I think on his own personal account too. Um, but James has taken my excitement about high B's and high C's and he has worked a, essentially a Gaida Highland bagpipe channer is how he's doing it, but he is consistently getting up to high D's. Um, so go find James on social media and listen to his stuff. It's, uh, amazing. And I keep hoping like we need to get together and have another chat on the podcast and he'll talk about how he does that. I hope at some point, but I keep on not really knowing how I'm going to find time for that, but, uh, maybe I'll just order James to talk about it so I can post it. I don't know. Um, but very exciting stuff. And it's particularly exciting because, you know, James lives in a high desert. So getting, um, he's basically uh, churned a couple of old pract- or old pipe chanters into experimental things where he's getting C naturals and F naturals and high B, C, C sharp, D, um, and using a flea hole. It's, it's very cool. It's super, super cool. So uh, anyway, so check out James stuff. I'll put some links in the uh, show notes here. All right, and as always, if you want to support the podcast, you can go to patreon.com slash way uh, We've got bonus episodes up there and also episodes increasingly of just the tunes from the episode. So that's going to be like a whole album worth of straight and skill tunes um, this month. So uh, I'm also uploading uh, PDFs of all of the music in one spot. So if you enjoy these straight and skill tunes and you want to see the curated list, you can always get those by joining the Patreon and you'll get a little PDF booklet uh, that downloads with the episode. Uh, otherwise you can hunt and pack, uh, or kind of hunt your own, um, by just following the links in the show notes to find the settings. But since these are all from straight and scholar and you're going to have to like read through the whole book, uh, I'm not, I just have it as a PDF. I don't have it online anyplace. So anyway, thanks everyone. And to go out, we'll do my last, uh, straight and scholar tune from Banks of Barley Meal. This is Cave of Enchantment and then into Mio in the Land of Far Away. Cheers everyone. Bye.